It's December 12th, 2008, and this is The Candid Frame. Welcome to another episode of The Candid Frame. Today's guest is Jim Zuckerman. And Jim is a photographer who I've gotten to know over the last several years from both reading his articles in magazines such as Shutterbug Magazine, but also from working alongside with him at workshops and, and the online classes that we both teach at BetterPhoto.com. But what's of interest to me uh, about Jim is not only his photographs, which are amazing. He has an incredible selection of images on his website. He's he's incredibly diverse. He has landscapes, wildlife, uh, people photography, nudes, conceptual stuff. He's all over the place, but what's really, what's really cool about his stuff is that not only does he have a whole variety of his stuff, but all the stuff is amazingly consistent for, for their quality. But one of the things that I wanted to talk to uh, with Jim was much less about creating photography itself, but how to make a living from your images, from actually going out there, taking these pictures and selling them and finding a market for them. I thought that our conversation with Jim would help provide an insight into how you need to approach it in order to make that dream a reality. And I have to admit, I learned some, some things myself from listening to this interview, and I think you will as well. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Jim Zuckerman. Well, welcome to the Candid Frame, Jim. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. You know, I've been following your work ever since I came on board with with Better Photo, and I've been a little big admirer of of the photography that you you produce, and uh, also just your amazing abilities as as a teacher and, a, and, a, and as a presenter. But why don't we start off with how you began as a photographer? I was reading in your bio that you were studying um, something in, in involving medicine as you, before you made the choice to become a photographer. Yeah, I wanted to be a doctor for uh, as long as I can remember. And then when I was uh, in, in school, I just um, – uh, actually what happened was I, I went to Europe with a friend of mine and he showed me how to use his camera. That was 1968. And uh, I just started looking for more interesting camera angles that, that, than, than most snap shooters use. And, and then uh, I got home and, and uh, my sister's boyfriend showed me how to make prints in a darkroom and I, I was hooked. So I, I went out. I, I actually, I sold my stamp album. I used to collect uh, American Mint stamps. And in 1968, I sold it for $175. I bought a Canon FTQL with only a 50-millimeter lens. And that's, that's how I started. And just I remember uh, using that camera. I was living in Palm Springs at the time in California. And I'd go out in the desert just looking for flowers and stuff. And I'd... I couldn't figure out how to get close to them, you know, within more uh, closer than 18 inches. But of course, reading a lot of photo magazines, I learned about diopters and macro lenses. And I, one time, I was out in the desert and I met a guy who had a, a 200 millimeter lens. And I asked if I could look through it, and I saw some cactus up on a ridge. And I, I thought to myself, "Wow, if I had one of these, I wouldn't want anything else." Mm-hmm. 
of course, tens of thousands of dollars later, I still want more stuff. <laughs> that never stops. Never stops. So what were the first things that you started photographing that you found that you had a real passionate for? Because looking through your website, you shoot a wide diversity of, of, of imagery. But what was what first piqued your, your interest? Well, when I first bought my camera, I was doing landscapes and flowers. But very quickly, I, I'd say within six months of that, um, I discovered that I had a passion for special effects. Um, I... Uh, I don't know, very early on, I just loved uh, creating surreal and psychedelic kind of images, and that's what I did for many years. Um, I, I, if I shot a landscape or a person, it was destined to be turned into something bizarre or artistic or otherworldly. Uh, so I, I did that for, oh, maybe 10 years. Uh, that, that was my number one passion, and then when I got into medium format, uh, photography that sort of uh, turned my thinking around, and I started doing straight stuff because it was so beautiful. Um, so it, it's true that my <clears throat> my my range of uh, images is very very broad. I love photographing beauty, anything that's intriguing, beautiful, mysterious, uh, any subject, whether it's human, you know, animal, landscape, architecture, uh, festivals, uh, abstracts. Uh, anything that's that's beautiful, I want to do. So how how did you segue into um, actually making a living as a photographer? Were you primarily working creating illustrations at first before you started doing more straight photography? How, how does that uh, well? How did that work? I was a starving photographer for a number of years. Uh, it's you know, I, I I've always said. To my friends, if I were smart in business, I'd be rich. <laughs> and the, the truth is, is that most artists aren't businessmen. And usually the most successful photographers um, are businessmen first and photographers second. I was a photographer first, and so that was a problem, at least in terms of making money. But but I, I, um, I guess when I began, I, I was very... Uh, shy and uncomfortable in presenting my work, and so I figured out how to use the U.S. mail. And I, I began actually with the book Photographer's Market. It's still published today. It's an annual publication, and it lists thousands of places to sell your work. It's published by Writer's Digest Books, and uh, it's still valid today. I would peruse that book and s- see magazines and and music publishing companies and art galleries and um, you know all kinds of uh, photo buyers out there, and I would send them my work through the mail. And um, it, it was slow going, of course, at first, but over time, you establish some relationships. And th- then I began writing for a magazine, uh, Peterson's Photographic Magazine, which actually uh, just uh, it it went out of business like three years ago. My first article for them was in 1973, and they just have come back. Uh, and they're doing quarterly issues right now, but so I, you know, I'd write for them, and and then um, probably the best thing that I've ever done in my career in terms of of advancing uh, with respect to income was joining a stock photo agency because they sold my pictures for me, and they still do. And so after 
after a number of years of feeding them pictures, uh, the pressure is taken off of, of you because, because you've got a, a relatively steady income. And the more pictures you give them, then the more money you make. And so um, once I joined a stock photo agency, I didn't have to worry about uh, you know, if I was going to pay my bills every month. And then th- that, was, that was over 20 years ago. Um, and then, uh, th- then I was free to find other markets, you know, writing books or uh, doing assignments or um, having gallery shows, selling in art fairs. I've done all kinds of marketing stuff. I've tried everything. Um, but the, the best decision I've ever made for my career was joining a stock agency because, like I said, they did the selling for me. Yeah. You know, you, you, you've, t- you've taught classes on how to make uh, a, a living from photography, and I know you get approached a lot about people who aspire to become f- photographers. And then there seems there's so much that you need to do, but what do you think are some of the first initial steps that each photographer should do, you know, if they're really interested in trying to make income from, from being a photographer? It's a really good question. Um, I think um, the number one thing is is to be able to critique your own work completely honestly. And the way you do that is you compare your pictures to the pictures of people that you admire in the business who are successful and and you say, are my pictures as good as his or hers? And if the answer is no, then the next step is saying, okay, why not? Is it the subject matter? Is it the lighting? Is it the composition? You know, what exactly is it? Uh, are, are my backgrounds messy and theirs are not? There's a lot of a lot of factors, of course, that goes into making a good picture. But the ability to self-critique your work is crucial. And and the reason why I suggest that they compare uh, their work to a, a successful pro is because the truth is. When you make money in photography, you're competing against the best photographers in the world. And so uh, you, your work needs to be as good. And it, it's not that difficult, really, to assess your work honestly. Um, what, what makes me uh, say this is that in about 1977, 76, something like that, I was in a national park doing landscapes. And I picked up a book uh, by David Munch, and um, I was looking through it. You know, he's he's perhaps either the best, or certainly certainly one of the best landscape photographers that there have ever been. And um, he was very successful uh, in the '70s, as I was just really starting photography. And I was looking at his landscapes and and comparing them mentally to mine, and his were much better. And so I said to myself, okay, what is he doing that I'm not? And I figured out that, that he was shooting at sunrise and sunset, and I wasn't. And and he was composing his pictures in a certain way, and I wasn't. And as soon as I started emulating uh, that kind of style, instantly my pictures got better. I wasn't copying what he was doing because, you know, it's a big country and, and uh, lots of compositions to take. But – Lighting is lighting, and, and it's either beautiful or it's not. And I was not using the kind of beautiful lighting he was. And uh, as soon as I started, then instantly my pictures got better and therefore more marketable. Yeah. So that's that's number one. 
And the second thing um, is you have to um, be tireless and persistent, and you have to have a thick skin to rejection. Um, I remember when when I first uh, submitted a, an article to Popular Photography. This is about 1971, and I got a rejection. I felt bad. They they hurt my feelings, and so I didn't submit any more ideas. Well, that was stupid. Mm. You know, this is not this is not um, an, an emotional uh, issue here. It's business, and they you know photo buyers reject your pictures not necessarily because they're bad. But because they don't suit a purpose, maybe they just got a submission, you know, a month earlier, just like yours, and they, and they accepted the other one, and they would have accepted yours, but but you you miss it out by a month or a week or a day. Lots of reasons why images are rejected. So you have to have a very thick skin, and you have to be persistent, and you can't ever give up, and you have to work all the time. Um, even even after all these years, I still work. Many many hours a week. I, I don't count, but I probably work from about seven thirty in the morning till ten or eleven at night every day. Now I happen to love it, um, and and I'm fortunate that that my wife loves photography and she's a good photographer, so we work together. But uh, but you have to put in an enormous amount of time to to be successful and to stay successful. Um, and and I guess after that. Uh, what what makes or breaks a photographer and, and and his or her work, I think, is photographing great subjects. Um, if, if you know, when I say uh, great subjects make great pictures, it seems so obvious that it's almost foolish to say it. But the truth is, um, when I teach online and when I give seminars and I critique people's work, I see a lot of images. Where the subjects are boring or uninspiring or uh, not compelling, and I, I think what what I try to do, and this is one reason I travel all over the world, is I'm looking for the greatest subjects I can find. Uh, I mean, for example, you can photograph, you know, a, a 25 foot little sailboat in in the in the Chesapeake Bay, or you can photograph a tall ship. So you know which which picture do you think is going to sell for a calendar, or or through a stock photo agency? Obviously, the tall ship, because it's a great subject. And so you have to spend. Well, let me put it in first person. I spend um, most of my life in pursuit of great subjects, and and I think that that's one reason why my pictures are successful in selling through stock and through other venues. Because the the images are of just you know spectacular subjects, so I I I, I think those few things um, self critiquing your work, persistence and having a thick skin and and working all the time, and shooting great subjects I think that formula will make anybody successful. And what do you think is sort of um, one of the key things in terms of just business. I mean, you spoke mostly about photography, but what what's the one thing that that in terms of business that someone really needs to focus on or, or do in order to, you know, successfully make the leap from whatever they're doing now into becoming a professional photographer? Well, um, 
I, I can only tell you what I've done because other other successful photographers have have uh, carved out their own niche and they have um, earned money, you know, similar to me, but but with with different, um, I guess, a different twist. Um, one very important thing today, and this was not true, of course, when I was starting out because the internet didn't exist. But you have to have a great website. And when I say great, I'm not talking about bells and whistles with music and and using flash and having things move all around and have it be really slick graphically. I'm talking about having great pictures on it. One thing I learned um, early on with with, uh, my website is that one of the reasons that people find me – in fact, the main reason people find me is because I put descriptive captions under my pictures – I didn't realize this when I first started doing it. My very first website, I just had um, numbers under each picture. I figured, well, people could use it as a catalog and they would order by the number. But then I thought people are going to want to know where these things are. And as soon as I started putting names under my pictures, like, for example, Angkor Wat, Cambodia, or you know, the Eiffel Tower, Paris, France, just simple descriptive words – those words get hooked up into search engines, and I have—I would say my, my income has increased, I don't know, maybe 30% because of – maybe 40% because of my, my web presence. And many people who find me have never heard of me before, so it's not like I have a name in, in the industry and therefore people want to use my pictures. It's not that way. People want pictures – and they don't care who took them, really. Mm-hmm. The pictures have to satisfy a need. And so if you can have a website with lots of different pictures on it, um, this, this is one way uh, that people will find you and you can make money. And, you know, it, I'm basically a stock photographer. I sell pictures that I have already taken. I do almost no assignments. Uh, every once in a while, I will. But I don't like to, and so I sell pictures that I love to take, and then I go find a market for them. Other photographers who do studio work, for example, portraits, uh, you know, family portraits, weddings, uh, commercial kind of stuff, tabletop photography, food photography, all that kind of stuff. They they're in a different arena. They have to go out and hustle. They have to get assignments, and and they charge a day rate. I don't do that. Um, and then in terms of selling um, stock, um, besides selling through a stock photo agency, you know you can, you can also use your pictures for all kinds of uh, uh, things from jigsaw puzzles, children's books, books on photography, um, different aspects of nature. If you shoot nature, if, if you shoot uh, travel and cultures, you could do books on that. So what, what I have – at least my formula has been I use my uh, pictures for all kinds of different purposes, or at least at least let me say it this way. I solicit markets, uh, very varied markets, and I think that's been the secret of my success because I'm so diversified. You know, I do digital effects, and I've, I've had many magazine covers um, because of those conceptual images. And I do the nature, and I do, you know, I, I, I had a book in '97 on uh, nudes. I do photomicroscopy, and so 
every time I do something new, I go look for who might be interested in these pictures. Um, so th- that's how I've done it. And besides the photographic markets guy, where where else are you looking for to find these these potential buyers of your of your of your work? Well, um, let, let's say you come back from a trip to Mexico or Cambodia or France, and and you have a, a group of pictures that you want to sell. Um, I would. First of all, you've got the magazine market. Uh, so I would either go online or use the book photographer's market. And you could type in, let's say, travel magazines. And so, it, you know, if you had a, a group of pictures of some foreign destination or domestic destination, um, you can search for travel magazines and you'll come up with a bunch of them. And so you send out a, a proposal. Um, a letter. You can do a promotional page and send it by email today uh, with some sample pictures and a brief outline of what you propose. So that's that's one market. Um, those same pictures from France uh, might be applicable as posters. So you can send a selection to a poster company. Or if you have enough pictures for, for um, let's say, a, a one-man calendar or one-woman calendar, um, you can put together 12 or 20 pictures or you know however many you have um, preferably pictures in the calendar market that could be cropped into a square because so many calendars are squares and you send them off to uh, calendar publishers and those same pictures depending on if they are appropriate for, for people who love puzzles can be sent to jigsaw puzzle companies and those same pictures can be sent to a greeting card publishers. You see? Yeah. And and it, you know, depending on the kind of pictures you take, um, like for example, if you um, went to Africa and and you had some really great wildlife stuff, you could propose a children's book on, uh, you know, what if if you had like, or even you could even do this at the zoo. Um, one one of my favorite. Uh, Titles and in fact, I proposed this a few times to, uh, for uh, to children's book publishers, and one of them, one company, almost bought it, but but their editorial direction changed, and they didn't, and I was very disappointed. But um, I, I happen to love the, the the phrase "faces only a mother could love," and and so you could go to the zoo and photograph, you know, the the ugliest and the funniest and the weirdest looking animals do, do, do close-up portraits of them if you can get it and if you can't you try to make arrangements with the curator at the zoos to see if you can go behind the scenes to get some close-ups usually they, they will let you do that especially if it involves some kind of publicity for the zoo and so you could do um, you know cards or a children's book or, or a calendar for kids on you know you know like animals with the funniest faces um, and those same pictures can be sold to a photo magazine, you know, techniques for photographing in a zoo. So the, my point is is that you can use the same pictures for all kinds of different markets. And that's what I've done for all these years. Yeah. One of the, one of the challenges of, for a photographer, whether they're starting out or whether they're established, is assigning a value to their work. Um, you know, sometimes the the... the 
price that a lot of people are willing to pay for a photograph will vary wildly. But how does a photographer come to decide, you know, what is fair not only to them but to their client? Well, that's really one of the hardest questions to answer. It's really it's it's one of the best questions and one of the hardest ones to answer. Um, many companies, publications usually, have set fees. So if you sell pictures to uh, the National Wildlife Foundation or Federation, I mean, um, they will tell you what they pay. And the, the same with uh, Shutterbug Magazine, for example. If you write an article for them, they have their their uh, rates. Uh, per page, per cover, and that's what they pay. Um, jigsaw puzzle companies also. In fact, I just sold uh, three pictures to a jigsaw puzzle company, and they paid seven hundred apiece. Another puzzle company uh, in Canada pays two fifty apiece. That's just what they pay. Sometimes you can negotiate a little higher, and and you can you know squeeze some more out of it out of the deal. Other, in other cases, um, if you're selling, for example, in a gallery or an art fair, then, of course, there's no set prices. And in, in those cases, uh, and, well, you can go online, and uh, if you type in um, uh, photographic pricing or, or prices for commercial photography or prices for stock photography, you'll find it a number of websites that, that give you a range of prices. Um, that's that's usually the, the best that you can find is a range. So, and and sometimes if I don't know what to charge a client, I will call my stock agency, and I'll say, "What do you think I should charge them?" And they'll they'll tell me. Well, uh, for example, one time, about three or four years ago, I had a, a company contact me through my website. They saw my my stuff online, and they wanted to buy one of my frog pictures, a picture that sold many times, my red-eyed tree frog. And they wanted to put it on 15,000 pairs of socks. Now, I had no clue as to what to charge. So I called my stock agency, and they said, well, for, for something like that, they, they would ask between 450 and 700. And so I, I quoted the, the company 600, and they said yes. Um, so, you know... In terms of galleries, uh, if you if you had a showing in a gallery, I think the best uh, person to ask would be the owner of the gallery. You know, because because both the owner and and the photographer have the same goal, and that's you know to make as much money as they can. But the gallery owner will know what the client uh, the clientele will bear, what kind of pricing structure for that demographic will work. Yeah. You know, if you were selling in Beverly Hills. That's one price, and if you're selling in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, it's another price. Um, and the same with art fairs, and 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 everything's negotiable. Um, a gallery in London wanted to to buy; uh, they didn't want on consignment. They just wanted to buy outright five prints. They were like uh, four by six feet, actually. And I quoted a price, and and they they said it was too high, but they wanted five of them. So, so you know, we, I lowered it, and until they said okay, and so, so sometimes there's give and take. Sometimes the pricing structure is set, and some, and other times you can go online, like those websites, um, and and look at the guidelines, and and uh, sometimes, um, I, I about uh, two months ago, a uh, 
decorator who was working on a large hotel project in New York uh, asked for a price of a very large print. And I quoted it, and she said that was too much. And I and um, I said I, I said what what is your budget? In fact, that's a that's a great question that a photographer can ask to give to get a sense of what the client's thinking. You know, what is your budget? In other words, what kind of money is is allocated, or do you expect to pay for this? And and sometimes they say too low, and sometimes they say higher than you expect. And then of course you quickly say okay. <laughs> um, but in this case, um, the hotel didn't want to pay what I wanted to ask, and so we just parted friends. Didn't make the sale. Right now, we're in a real, real challenging economic time, and for for many people, um, unfortunately, they may have lost a job, but they, they may be seeing this as a great opportunity for them to probably follow their passion to become a a, a photographer. Um, but it's also a time where. You know, companies are tight, tightening their their purse strings. Um, you've probably because you've been shooting for a long time. You've been through downtimes, um, you know, on several occasions. What does a what does a photographer need to keep in mind during, you know, down, you know, um, dark economic times? Well, I I don't know. Um, I mean, so so far, um, I've not been affected by this economy, but. To be honest, it really surprises me that I haven't because uh, one of the first things to get that gets cut is an advertising budget. You know, companies have to make payroll and, and have to pay their rent and their electricity, uh, but they can cut back on advertising. And um, many of my sales through a stock agency are exactly that, um, advertising sales. So I would have expected um, – my income to be cut but it hasn't but to answer your question how do you prepare for it uh, like any other business you um, minimize your expenses and uh, you you work more you know you just send out you send out proposals more um, you know when I when I first started in in business w w with that book photographers market I sat down and I sort of made a mathematical analysis and I said, well, if I sent out one proposal a week to a magazine, to a book publisher, to a jigsaw puzzle company, to a calendar publisher, whoever, um, then l let's say I had certain percentage of successes then I, and you know, if, if every sale netted so many hundreds of dollars, then I would make this. But if I send out, send out a proposal every day, then then theoretically you'd make seven times what you'd make if you sent it out once a week. And if you sent out two proposals in a day, then you'd make double that. So when the economy gets like this, the, all you can do is send out more proposals and come up with more ideas of how you can put together um, images, a, a package uh, for a calendar publisher or whoever, um, and and uh, just work harder. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and um, what I do in traveling all over, all over the world that costs money, of course. But you don't have to travel all over the world to get pictures. Uh, for example, um, I know that that pictures of puppies and kittens sell all the time. 
if they're really cute and, and, and they put a smile on people's face, um, as you know those little cute faces do, then they will sell. And so uh, about, um, I don't know, f- about five, six months ago, um, I put an, a free ad in Craigslist. Uh, do you have that in California? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have it okay. out here. Okay. Well, um, and, and I, I said, you know, um, I'm looking for puppies to photograph, and, and, and I was offering to pay $50 if, if, if they'd bring their, their puppies uh, to my house or, I, or I'd go there if, if I'd gain access to them. And I, I got all kinds of different puppies, and I've already sold those pictures to uh, jigsaw puzzle companies and, and calendar companies. And so it's just a matter of coming up with a theme or an approach and doing it, and you just keep sending it out, and you can't let a rejection uh, make you feel bad. It doesn't matter um, how you feel really. It's about, This is business, and uh, you just have to, like I said before, have a thick skin, and if, if one publisher turns it down, you, you just repackage it and send it out again. And, yeah. you know, and today, because you can submit by email, you don't even have the postage costs. You don't have to make duplicate transparencies or prints like we used to do when we send out a proposal. Now, there's no cost at all. Yeah. One of the things I think that's really interesting and exciting about your career is that a lot of people look at it and go, God, I would love to be sent out by a magazine to go photograph in Africa or Europe or Australia. And But the thing is that you do is that you're creating those opportunities for yourself. You're being persistent, aggressive in terms of sending out proposals, but you're really choosing for yourself what your assignments are going to be, what locations you're going to be. Instead of waiting for someone else to say, to offer you an opportunity to go to these locations, you're creating the opportunities for yourself and finding a market for, for the photographs. Yeah, um, I, I guess the reason I did that is because if I if I were hired to photograph what other people wanted, um, and I'm thinking specifically of commercial photographers, you know, I mean, a, a commercial photographer, if if somebody comes into into their studio or calls them on the phone and and, and says, "I need you to photograph this widget," you know, or or uh, th- this falls. Uh, fashion for six-year-old little girls. Well, they have to uh, photograph something that they may not enjoy, especially, but they'll do a good job, and they love photography, so they, they do it. But but I know that when, when they look at my pictures, um, they go, "Man, you know, I've not been out of the studio for years. I'd love to go to Africa or Asia or or someplace." And so I knew I know myself, and I knew that I would be bored. If I weren't pursuing just the stuff that I wanted, and so that—that's why I—I I made this business for myself, where um, where I I just photograph what I want to photograph. Yeah. Well, you've really embraced this whole digital technology because I know you do a lot of enhancements and composites and a variety of different things with images, and I think that's that's inspired a lot by what you know ends up selling. You know, there's some people who go, well, I don't want to, you know, mess with my images at all. I just, if, if I don't get it right in camera, then it's it's not worth it. But you're, you're very embracing in terms of doing whatever you need to do in order to make an image sellable, marketable. Well, Talk to me yes, about I, that. I, I do that. Of course, it goes back to my, my early days of loving special effects when I did my surreal and 
and bizarre kind of photography. Mm-hmm. I just have always loved manipulating images. But I have to tell you that, that Photoshop has probably doubled my income because I can do anything that, that I want with a picture. Um, I can take a picture that's great and make it more great. I can take a picture that's mediocre and make it saleable. Um, I can put things together that, that never existed and and uh, have it sell. Uh, I mean, today, you know, the, the bar has been raised so high in terms of photographic perfection and artistry and creativity that uh, you have to keep up. And, and a photographer that does not know Photoshop is at a serious disadvantage. Um, I mean, you know, even a landscape photographer who's out there in the, in the American Southwest or, or in New England in the fall colors, there's always going to be stuff that makes a picture less than perfect. It could be power lines, it could be a mailbox, it could be trash, it could be just, you know, um, uh, some uh, a, in a highlight that's, that's overexposed that you want to get rid of. Uh, there's so many scenarios that that with Photoshop you can make it perfect. And then in terms of advertising, you know, advertisers don't care how the picture was made. If the picture satisfies their need, that's all they care about. So so you, you put fireworks, you know, behind the, the, uh, the Tower Bridge in London and, and you, you make a, a, re- a great reflection of an elephant or of some famous monument where there was no, no reflection there at all, or you're at the Taj Mahal and the river is dry or, or muddy instead of flowing. And so you make a spectacular reflection and it sells. Um, yeah, I, I love doing this. My, my, one of my, well, maybe not the favorite, but one of my favorite collections is my dinosaurs. Um, I've made a lot of money with dinosaurs, and I just I, I love doing it. As a wildlife photographer, I'm frustrated that I'll never, ever, ever be able to photograph a dinosaur. The closest I can come to are you know, chameleons that are eight inches long because they're like mini dinosaurs, um, and maybe the Komodo dragon in Indonesia. But So I take these very detailed models. I put them into my landscapes, and so I've sold calendars and uh, just all kinds of stuff with with those pictures, and it's fun. It's it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, those are some great and very fun images. I think it's very, I think it's very innovative and very cool to think about uh, an area that typically would have been strictly illustrative, and you're actually using photography in order to you know create these images. A- absolutely. In fact, every time you see a book on dinosaurs, it's always illustration. And I'd love to do a children's book with my pictures. And I just, you know, there's only 24 hours in the day. And so uh, teaching online takes up a lot of time, as you know. And uh, so, but, I, but in the back of my mind, I'd, I'd love to do a book on, uh, on dinosaurs. Uh, one of the things you talk about is, is, is stock. And the stock industry has changed a whole lot since, since you came in in. Um, not only in terms of the percentage that the photographer gets, but just in terms of the diversity of companies that are out there uh, that serve as, as stock companies. Um, you know, there are, of course, you know, Corbis and Getty are, 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 the, are the, you know, the, the big guys in the room, but, you know, there are a lot of other small companies. What are some of the things that you, you think it's important for a photographer to consider when they're deciding, you know, what kind of stock agency to sign up with? Well, 
these the kind of stock agency that I would avoid uh, are the micro stock companies. I just think it's not right to get you know a dollar or five dollars for a sale. Um, I and I, I also think that it's it hurts the industry, hurts all of other photographers, and and also the photographer who is having a number of sales at one or two or three or five dollars. Uh, he 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 or she has to work so hard to keep feeding that agency with more and more pictures because it's just not enough money. And and you know if if, if I have one sale for five hundred dollars at Corbus or Getty or, or Alamy or um, Fog Stock or any of the other real agencies, you know um, I'd have to sell you know a, a picture through Microsoft maybe a hundred times. Or two hundred times, and I I just don't see it as a viable source of income. There's always going to be a few superstars whose whose lives are nothing but but shooting and shooting and shooting stock. They're machines. For most mortals, that kind of model doesn't work. And so what what most people do is they'll send in a hundred pictures or two hundred pictures to Microstock. And you know, one month they'll make sixty-two dollars. Another month they'll make thirty-six. Another month they'll make one hundred and twenty-five, maybe. And after all the time they've put into it, and all the investment in equipment and and, and computer hardware and software, and travel, you know, to make just a few dollars in with, with the prices of the way things are today, it's pointless. So, I would avoid those. The other agencies will make money for you if you give them, number one, what they want, and number two, uh, what sells. And of course, what they want is what sells. Um, you know, I would not shoot. I mean, if if a stock agency has uh, two hundred pictures online of the Eiffel Tower, chances are you're not going to make much money if you shoot the Eiffel Tower also. It's always, a, it's always a possibility that your shot could make a lot of money, but you'd better put your energies into other things. Um, I would sit down or over the phone talk to your editor and say, you know, that that you want to send in pictures that the agency wants, that the agency needs, and uh, that's what you would shoot. So, I would go with a with a full service agency if you can get into Cor- uh, Corbus or Getty. That would be ideal, but at this moment in time, uh, December of 2008, as far as I know, they're not taking photographers. Mm. Uh, Corbis, uh, about uh, two months ago, laid off 179 people because they've been impacted by the economy. Um, And um, Getty, it's extremely hard to get into Getty. Um, Just to give you an example, I know a guy, a friend of mine, great photographer, he uh, makes a hundred thousand a year with Getty, and he tried to get into Corbus, and they wouldn't let him in. I mean, it's it's just it's very difficult to get into those two. Yeah, Getty does have a program where you can pay. Uh, it starts off at fifty dollars per picture. You can pay to have your pictures put on their website. Um, so that's a possibility. A friend of mine has done that, and. Uh, in about maybe about eight months, he's broken even. 
So just to give you a little mm. uh, note on that. But other agencies that are very good, um, uh, Denita Delamont, Fogstock, Alamy, uh, Kimball Stock, if you shoot animals. Uh, these are agencies that, that um, are excellent, have good reputations, and I know photographers make money with them. Yeah. Well, the last question I always ask is, I'd like for the photographer I'm interviewing to recommend another photographer for our listeners to go and check out their work and learn from. So who would that be for you and why? I just get one photographer? Just one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd have to say Art Wolf. Uh, Art is um, probably, well, in my opinion, uh, the best wildlife nature travel photographer around he's he works tirelessly uh he's phenomenal he has a great eye um he won't give up until he gets the picture and uh uh he's he's uh unbelievable his his body of work so that that's that's what i recommend it, it's artwolf.com great well, thank you, Jim. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. You, you provided a great insight into what it means to be a professional photographer, so thank you. You are very welcome. Thanks again for joining me for another episode of the show. Please feel free to email me with any comments or suggestions to the candidframe at gmail.com or post a message on the blog at thecandidframe.com. Till next time, this is Ivarian X. Perello, and this is The Candid Frame. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocastnetwork.com.